My friend Joe Miller was uh, the kind of person who could make the familiar seem unfamiliar, and by making the familiar unfamiliar, make it more meaningful. He was a teacher throughout all of his life, whether he was professionally doing that or sort of in the amateur fashion, being a teacher. He took one of the, many people's perspective, worst curses in all of Western literature and turned it into a blessing. Many of you have read your Dante, or at least you know this line. Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. It's not the mission of this congregation, obviously. (laughs) Those are the words scrawled over Dante's understanding of hell. The words at the gates of the inferno. Joe Miller turned that into a blessing, and for a very particular reason. He lived from the very early 80s to the late 90s every day with full-blown AIDS. Not HIV positive, full-blown AIDS. From some of the earliest days of the epidemic, all the way through the late 90s when people were just at the point of starting to be able to live with the disease, not just die from it. Every day, against all odds, Joe Miller lived with his disease. Every day that he was not too sick to get out of the bed, either at the home or in the hospital. He was at a meeting for education or advocacy or awareness, meeting with people from the pharmaceutical companies or business leaders or religious leaders or educational leaders. Every day, every day that he walked for those over 14 years that he was sick, well beyond, well beyond what we all thought he would have in terms of his time on this earth. Every day, he was in service. Now, I remember him very particularly this day because tomorrow, December 1st, is World AIDS Day. And I also remember him particularly because of the message series we're doing right now. Joe and I met at the Unitarian Church of All Souls, the religious community that ordained me in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And Joe lived with urgency every single day. He was not above prodding me when I was a little slow on one of the projects. He says, I will not be met at the pearly gates when I go someday, and it could be this day with this question, where the hell is the AIDS task force database? (laughs) That was my job to get that together. See, Joe could have given up. He could have resigned himself to his fate. And even more, why he turned those words from Dante, a curse, into a blessing was this. He did not expect to get cured. He saw too many friends of his waiting for that magical day when the cure would finally be found and everything would be made okay in their lives. He gave up that hope. Instead, he chose to live with the time that he had and he would live for others. Every day he knew could be his last. And I believe because of that, he received so many more of them than would have been expected. Now, I'm tempted to say it was simply because of this attitude of living for others, of being for others, because of this other-directed attitude, he had 14 or 15 more years than really he should have had medically possible on this earth. But in this message series that concludes today, the last lecture, Randy Pausch also lived right up until his end for others also taught all the days of his life until he had no more days to share. But really, he didn't get any extra days. He wasn't a medical miracle. He received the diagnosis in summer of 2006 and was dead a couple of years after that. See, all of us, of course, we all want longevity. We all want good, long, rich, 
long, fulfilling, long, wonderful, long lives? Of course we do. And it is sad. It is deeply, deeply awful. Awful. When someone is cut down in the early part of their life, when life is just coming to be. But we know that if it is not in the cards for all of us to have long life, it is, I believe, in the cards for all of us to have full life. Randy Pausch died so well because he lived so well and because he lived so full. He did this by all the way up until his end, in the last lecture most specifically, but even beyond that. He lived in paying his life forward by enabling the dreams of others. This is the central and last lesson from the last lecture. And I want to show you his words right now. now. How many of you have seen the movie The Departed? You know, the Scorsese movie The Departed, Nicholson and, you know, Damon and all the big stars there. DiCaprio, sorry, I forgot the biggest one. Well, there's a scene in which Jack Nicholson, who plays a really, really unsavory, vicious mobster type character, he's in his bar and he's in his low rent bar and he spies one of his other unsavory cohorts. And it doesn't seem to be someone he's very fond of. And, well, actually, I can't tell you the line that he says to describe this guy. But basically, he vaguely threatens him. He vaguely threatens him and just lets it on that, you know, he's kidding a little bit. And he says, almost a little jokingly, how's your mother? How's your mother? And the unsavory guy, he says, oh, it's not good. She's on her way out. And Nicholson, without missing a beat and picking up his step, he says, we all are. Act accordingly. We all are. Act accordingly. Now, for the Jack Nicholson character, for the Frank Costello character, this is permission for him to act as badly as he wants to. We're all on our way out. Act accordingly is basically saying get as much toys, get as much as you can, because there's no future and there's nothing that you can do that's too bad. And in the end, well, towards the end of the movie, he dies viciously, he dies badly, and up until that point, he lives in anger and arrogance and in fear. This must be so. It must be so that he lives in anger or arrogance or fear because he truly has no life to give. He only has life to take. No life to give others, only life to take from others. And thinking of my friend Joe Miller or thinking of Randy Pausch, both were teachers professionally and both remained so right up until the end of their days, even after their teaching professions had ended. Act accordingly, just like Joe did with that line from Dante. They were able to reframe that. Act accordingly because they were on their way out meant something entirely different than do whatever you want to. Act accordingly meant this. Spend your life giving your life away to others. Become the midwives for dreams of other people. This is what it meant to be on your way out and acting accordingly for them. And so they kept the lights of their lives turned on all the way until the end, until the last little flickage of the wattage had gone down, and still they were able to shine all the way to the end. Now, this is the conclusion of this message series, and so it leaves a question before us, and this is the final thing very intentionally I wanted to end it with. How, how do we, how do all of us act accordingly? We're all on our way out. We're all on our way out. How do we act accordingly in that spirit of Joe Miller, Randy Pausch. Well, two things I want to say. Randy Pausch talks about one of them. He says, find something to do that you are really, really good at. 
Find something to do that makes you indispensable. And so people will want to be around you and come to you and say, please teach me. Let me learn from you. And I want to add one more thing to that. It's not just quite enough to find something that you're really, really good at. Find something also that you're really good at and you really love. Howard Thurman has this quote that I've used before, and I absolutely love it. He said, do not ask what the world needs from you. Do not ask what the world needs. Focus instead on what makes you come alive. Because in the end result, what the world needs is people who have come alive. And the final result, what the world needs is people who have come alive. Your specific lives, not just some grand sense of you can be, and you know maybe you've heard this, you can be whoever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. I don't think that's right. I think that's a lie. And I think it's a lie that really trips people up. One of my favorite teaching stories, I've told it before, but... Some of you are hearing it for the first time today. It's from an ancient rabbi who said one night he had a vision of what life would be like beyond this life. And he said he will be asked one question. It will not be, why were you not Moses? Why were you not the pantheon of all the great rabbis who've ever been? Why were you not Moses? The question will be, why were you not yourself? Why were you not fully yourself? This is the better truth, the better good news than just saying you can be anyone. No, each of us has the blessed opportunity to truly, fully be ourselves and find our giftedness, find our gifts and share them. And this is not learning to give away your life as a sacrifice, as a martyr with blood on their hands. We all have had some of the cup of our rejoicing poured out just a little bit in this past Thanksgiving week from what happened in Mumbai. And those innocent lives that were lost to horror and terror and bloodshed. Because we know that handing off your life in this way, it's frankly just really simple. Destruction is really simple. John Lennon put it this way. He said, living is easy with eyes closed. Living is very easy with eyes closed if you want to charge into a building and take the lives of others. We want to learn, all of us here today, to act accordingly to give away our lives with our eyes open. And so our lives can be a love offering back to the life that birthed us. So find that thing. Perhaps you're already living it out. Do more of it. Find that thing at which you excel and that thing that you love. And living in this spirit, you know that you will hand off benefits that will far, far, far outstrip and outlive just your own life. This is about showing, not telling. It is really, really easy to tell people, you can be anyone you want to be. There's no modeling in that. There's no teaching in that. But showing another person what your gifts are so that you can inspire their gifts, that's the call of a lifetime. A number of years ago, actually well over 15 years ago now, I was an after-school tutor at a place called the Booker T. Washington Learning Center in East Harlem. And I was working three days a week with kids who really faced almost every challenge imaginable. Every challenge imaginable for seven, eight, nine-year-olds. And there was this old man who worked in the basement of this church. And what he would do, he was, cook there. he was a cook there. He would volunteer. And about once a week, he would come out from that old basement church, come out from behind his kitchen, take off his apron, and he would sit and he would tell these kids, you are somebody. You know, he was just directly quoting Jesse Jackson. You are somebody. You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want to do. You have value. And while that last part was absolutely true, the kids tuned him out. The kids got a lot of pep talks. They got a lot 
of pep talks. It was completely well-intentioned, his words, but they were completely dismissed. In one ear and out the others, the kids just did not hear it. They tuned him right out. As earnest as he was, as essential as his message really was, that they had value, even as so many things in their lives beat them down, they didn't need another pep talk. The irony is this, though, that that old man had a wonderful gift to share. He could have said nothing. He could have said, come and follow me. I'm going to teach you what I do in this kitchen. I mean, these are the kinds of kids who maybe, maybe outside of school are having one really decent meal a day. And he was making these incredible, almost gourmet-like feasts for them. He could have said, I'm not going to tell you you have value. Come into the kitchen and I will show you what value looks like. I will show you what true self-esteem, where it comes from, because it comes from doing estimable things. He could have showed them like Randy Pausch does all throughout the last lecture. He talks about the head fakes, that really you're teaching kids, teaching someone a value, a lesson you want them to learn, but you're making it fun. He could have said, come, take up my knife after me. Learn to throw the vegetables, the meat into the pot, stir it around, learn what it is to do something creative, even kids, as you live in the midst of all this destruction and all this sadness. He could have taught them that anything is possible. Not that all of them could do it in the same way, but together anything could be possible, even where destruction and sadness is most plausible. He could have handed it off. He could have handed off the meaning of his life. You see, it is very, very easy to praise, but it is much harder to practice. It is very easy to praise. It's very easy to damn someone with our words. It's much harder to practice and show the value of our lives and enable the dreams of others. My best phrase, my favorite phrase for this is called windy words. Windy words. It's from the book of Job, which is the book, you know, that they say about the question of suffering in the scriptures, in the Bible. It's not really about that, but I won't get into the complexity of Job. I'll save that for another message. But Job's friends, when they recognize the afflictions that have visited him, the first thing that they do is they sit with him. They sit with him, and all they do is they weep and they mourn and they share his sadness, but I guess they must get bored. Because after a while, what do they do? They start telling Job where he must have gone wrong. They start telling Job what he did wrong to deserve his suffering, because of course, you know what? Being around that much suffering can make us anxious. And we want to say, well, I can't wind up in the same situation as this other person can. And so they start saying, you must really have done something wrong to deserve this. You must not really ultimately be right with God. And when Job says, these things you tell me, they are windy words. They leave the breath and they disappear and they go away. See, his friends really didn't want to enable his dreams. Really really enabling the dreams of other people. It takes honesty. It takes time. It takes the wise use of our time, and it means that there are no instant results. All of you who are parents know this already. There are no instant results in equipping other people to live lifelong dreams. It means doing the hard thing, often not the easy thing, it means telling the truth about our lives, about the truth of another person's lives, that we perceive it, even when it's difficult to speak or difficult to hear. And it also means more than this, handing off our experience, especially our mistakes. 
And I want to tell you today that if you think you have only to offer another person your mistakes, it's probably not true. But even if that's what you think about yourself, go ahead and do it anyway. Preach, teach, show from your mistakes. Because truly, if you do it with humor and honesty, other people will learn from them and they won't have to commit the same mistakes as you. At the very least, you can be a stop sign to other people. If we live this way, we recognize that truly what we're doing is making investments in other folks, in people and helping them reach maturity in ways that we will not see. But the only gift we get is that we learn to live in faith. We learn to have faith in the growth of things that will far outstrip our lives and we can rest in the promises of that growth and of that kind of faith. And the most wonderful result happens. Time expands for us. How many of you think you don't have enough time? All right. When we live in this way, equipping other people to help achieve their dreams, time, I guarantee you this, if you do it from the thing that you are really good at and you do it from the place of real love, time will expand for you. I guarantee this. Start working this. Come back to me in a couple months and I guarantee you time will expand for you. Because when we do this, we live in the greater embrace of life. We are grounded in the deepest grounding of our being. And we get, which is the ultimate lesson of the book of Job, We get perspective. We get a deeper perspective on our lives. There's a great lesson in Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, in which he is visiting with a friend of his who has a very young son, and he can see how harried he is by his parenting. And Thich Nhat Hanh, almost in a period of uh, honesty, you can get the sense that he's probably sort of happy that he's a monk and he doesn't have this kid running all around. But we get this sense from the friend, met a couple months later, that something has really changed. Something has really changed in this friend. And Thich Nhat Hanh asked him what it is. He says, I have come to see Joey, my son's time, as my time. Before, when I was working with him on his lessons, when I was playing with him, I said, this is Joey's time, not mine. And when I get through this, as enjoyable as it is, eventually I can get to my time. But through the practice of mindfulness, the cultivation of presence, I now view Joey's time as my own. You see the difference there. He went from his time being sliced up like some pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving into something whole and something meaningful. He went from living a sliced up life to a full life. And his perspective changed through living for the life of another. This is the most fundamental move there is in any true spirituality. It is the movement from you and, actually, you and me to ours. From you, sometimes even versus me, to ours. I have to tell you, I think fundamentally there are just two different kinds of religion. There's the kind of religion that places you at the center of the universe and the kind of religion that says you are not at the center of the universe. There are a lot of programs, a lot of promises that will tell you you exist at the very center of the universe and because of an ancient code or because of a secret that no one has ever known until now. We will tell you, we will tell you how exactly you can have everything that you want. 
But I think this is nothing more than a recipe for spiritual narcissism, for placing ourselves at the center of the universe. And ultimately, it is a recipe for loneliness. Because if we are the center of the universe, well, then it's going to get a little crowded in there after a while with everyone else trying to elbow us out of the way so they can also be at the center of the universe. I think there is much better news than this. Because those kinds of teachings, they miss the mark. And by the way, that is my favorite definition of sin. To sin means simply just to miss the mark. Like you take the arrow back and it flies off and it doesn't hit the target. To hit the mark is to recognize this. That the better goal than saying we are at the center of the universe is to saying we can join the orbit of all the larger stars of the universe. All of us can be in this together. It is not about getting all of our wants, needs, wishes met. Although the irony is that truly if you live for the dreams and bringing up the dreams of other people, you will find so many of your dreams, childhood and otherwise, absolutely fulfilled. We hit the mark when we learn to take our place among the stars just as one of the stars. We don't have to be the center of everything. Just one of the stars and we're able to shine in the way that we are called to. And in that way, we hit the mark. This is how we let our light shine. And it's also how we learn to hand off that spark. To know it wasn't ours to begin with and it's ours for those who will come after us. This is the only genuine way to real peace that I know of. It is the only genuine way to real peace that I believe is true. It's like Randy Pausch in the last lecture. He says as he's working on his software that he spent so many decades working on and he knows he will not see it complete and he knows for the first time, I understand what it was like for Moses. I understand what it was like for Moses, seeing eventually his people delivered to the promised land, but having to stand on the other side of the banks of the river Jordan and understand that he will not be able to set foot in the promised land. But it's okay. It's okay. He doesn't have to set foot in there self, not himself. He sees the promised land and he knows that other people will get there even if he can't. It's like Dr. King the night before he died. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. We will get to, as a people, we will get to the promised land. And then he adds this, so amazingly prophetic. Amazing that it happened the very next day. He says, I may not get there with you. I may not get there with you. But there is no fear. There is no sadness, he explicitly says. And so tonight, I fear no man. With all those guns trained on him and one that would reach its target the very next day. He says, I fear nothing. That does not happen by accident. That happens because his life was spent as a love offering for the gifts and the well-being of others. And he knows, you'll get there, even though I may not. He's gained the perspective, truly, of what we can call eternity, which is that he's not the center of the universe, but he's one of the stars in the larger orbit and the larger movement of things. And because of this, he can rest in the promise of the promised land, but also that deeper promise of goodness. At our end, we will all be, you will all be like Moses. We will leave this life in the midst of projects 
and plans and journeys to the promised lands that we will not see. That's just the way life is. We're going to leave this in the middle of the story just as we enter it in the middle of the story. This either can be cause for you for lifelong mourning. And the question, why me? Why not more? Or it can be the greatest opportunity you can have to grow your soul. To know that none of us will ever really complete our lives. That's a blessing. Just like my friend Joe Miller said, it's a blessing, even though it may seem like a curse. Because once we recognize that nothing is ever fully complete, nothing is ever over, nothing is ever finished, and we're instead we're just invited to grow. Just grow as much as you can in the time that you have, and your life will never be exhausted, even when it comes to an end. And hopefully when we do get to that end, we can commit ourselves to that mystery that I believe, I don't know, but I believe calls us home in some way. And we can return ourselves to the here and now, to this blessed time between those two mysterious entities, eternities of birth and death. And here is where, through equipping others to dream, we can make the ultimate investment. We can hand off our lives, give away our lives, give away our love, give away our hopes because they will replenish themselves and they are being given away. And we can rest in the promises that the universe will make good use of our love and our light. And then we can trust. We can trust that the afterglow will contain us. Tonight, when you're brushing your teeth or washing your face or whatever nighttime ablutions you do, I'm going to ask you to do this. Look at yourself in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror and see all those people who are in back of you. Now, if you want to do this, there's a trick. You have to stand to the side. You have to see the angle. Because if all you see is your own face reflected back to you, you won't be able to see all those people. All those people whose love brought you to this day and beyond. All those people known and unknown who invested in your growth, invested in your becoming, invested in your dreaming. Step to the side so that you can see them over your shoulder. Step to the side and know that you are connected in mystery and in miracle to the ancestors. Your actual ancestors who somehow miraculously survived so that you were able to be here but all those ancestors who taught you as well too. And then imagine that you are looking forward. Imagine that you are looking beyond the mirror to its other side. See the ones, perhaps your children, perhaps not. See the ones who will come after you. And as you put down your toothbrush and maybe say your end-of-the-day prayers or contemplation or meditation, as you're preparing to let this day go, Ask yourself this question. Are you handing your life off? Are you giving your life away? If you can say yes, then you will have experienced grace, which is really just the experience of the mysteries of all of our lives turned towards the purposes of love. Grace is the experience of the mystery of life, the mystery of fate, turned towards the purpose of love. If you do that... The result is blessing, and may you live in it this day and those to come, and especially may you see it in your reflection. Amen.
Let's pray together. God of our heart's deepest yearning. May we be as those who live out their call. May we be as those who hand off the meaning of their lives, knowing that that meaning is not something that we invent. And so it will be there for us, even as we give it away. May we know that the ultimate value and gift in this life is not to stand at the center, but to stand alongside, to be with, to be a part of that great chain of grace and love and being so that we know ultimately, we do not have to ask the question, are we alone in this universe? The answer will be as obvious to us as our own breath is. May it be so and amen.